Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Tux Digital Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to be talking nanotechnology and how little robot armies can be used to extend our lives. Then we head to Camera Corner, where Wendy will discuss anti-forgery signatures on a camera. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, and Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. We missed an episode last week, so Michael, you have zero excuses, none. We were at scale. You certainly had to get some kind of hardware for scale. What did you have in your hardware vault to bring us today? I had to make up for it. That's why I have two this week. So, And they actually relate to each other because they're very important. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is the new headphones that I got, which are wireless noise-canceling headphones. They are the Sony wh Dash 1000 XM4 rolls right off the tongue. Beautifully named. Nice. And, but at the same time, I went making fun of the name. They are fantastic headphones, and I'm currently wearing them, and it's been great. You know, there's after a certain amount of time, it does get a little bit tiresome to my ears, but it takes many, many hours. They are very light and comfortable, and that was a very important thing for me to have the ability to walk around, but also not have to feel the weight the whole time. So I am so far really liking these headphones and they were critical. I would say vital to a good experience. Well, relatively good experience of being on an airplane because as everyone knows, when you're on an airplane, it's super loud. The sounds of the airplane, the sounds of the other passengers. And if you're in a plane that has little kids just yelling all the time, it's um, annoying to say the least and yeah. with these headphones, it's like I didn't even like I was by myself. I was in this really nice isolation chamber and I loved it. And anytime I had to take the headphones off in order to like listen to the uh, pilot's announcements or something, it was kind of like I was going back to a different reality. And uh, it was it was interesting, but at the same time, I it makes me not hate the experience of going on a plane now thanks to these kinds of headphones. Who takes their headphones off? To listen to the pilot announcements. Nobody cares what the pilot has to say. Well, you gotta know when it's gonna be landing so you can take them you can take all turn all your devices off and stuff or you listen you, to you know. that? <laughs> yes. It's called it's called being a good steward of Oh, the... Michael. Obviously Ryan doesn't. Or what yeah, obviously you listen, don't. I'm a rebel. I do what I want. I turn on more electronic devices when they tell me to turn them off. <laughs> When they I'm say kidding. put your, don't do the that. seats up and, and have your tables in their upright position, he's like, Psh, challenge accepted, pulls out a laptop, puts it on the table. Like, what are you going to do about it? And they're probably just going to do. You know, I'm the best. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I think what's interesting about these two, if I recall, is you can put your hand over one cup, because I used to own these as well, one of the ear cups, and that will automatically turn off the noise canceling, allow you to hear the surrounding noise. And I remember really liking that feature of these headphones. Yes. Yes. So the first time I took them off, I didn't know that that was a thing. And then I did it accidentally. And I was like, oh, okay, this is great. So, but I also found out there's this other function it has that I absolutely can't stand. And that is if you have one hand on the thing, it'll do the, the ambient noise thing. But if you have both hands up on them, like if you're taking it off, but you hold it for too long or whatever, it creates this chat environment mode or whatever so that as soon as you start talking it starts like minimizing your audio and bringing the ambient sound and that would be annoying when I'm just basically um, trying to take the headphones off and when I put them back on now I have this really weird back and forth thing when I when it hears my voice on an on some kind of editing on my computer and then I like it just constantly goes back and forth and it just, and I start, you know, when I, you know, you ever react to something and you just kind of like, oh, of course it's going to be doing this. But every time I do that to it, it reactivates. And uh, yeah, that was a bit annoying. But overall, the touch functions, like they're fantastic. I, I've gotten really used to 
changing songs or uh, playlists or whatever with just the touch functions. And certain parts are kind of annoying of these features, but the majority of it, I've been a big fan of it. Now, I will say that there is this one like proactive noise canceling thing that I am not comfortable with, but it allows you to turn it off or just not activate it when you do the setup process. And that feature is to turn on a microphone that's constantly listening to all of your surroundings in order to block out everything, which in a way makes sense technology-wise, but I don't want to have a microphone constantly tracking everything I do. So I made sure to turn that off first. Good call on that because these have Alexa built in, which you don't have to turn on, as I recall. It asks you to activate it in the app, which I would never turn on because Alexa, in my opinion, is a privacy nightmare. I actually really disliked the touch sensors on this. If you compare this to having actual physical toggle switches and things, it's just much better than trying to memorize the stupid different swipes and things that only work maybe 70% of the time. And when they don't work, That's it's true. a major problem. So I, I always hated the touch controls in this. I did not like the Alexa, but I liked that they made it so I didn't have to turn it on. As far as the sound stage on these, I remember them having very good highs, very good mid stage. The bass was decent. Um, it wasn't like uh, thumping like you might get out of some beats or something along those lines, but it was there. You could definitely hear it. Your sound quality overall was really, really good on these. And some of the best noise canceling, if that's your primary focus, that's out there, I think, bar none. Yeah, I wasn't getting them for this noise canceling factor, but on the plane, they it was I could barely hear anything outside of the stuff I was doing. I mean, if I actually had uh, a game playing on my Steam Deck or if I had music playing on my phone or a podcast or something, then I would hear absolutely nothing except for that. But if I turned it all off and I just did the noise canceling, I would only hear maybe 10% of the actual noise that was outside of it. So the noise canceling is fantastic. And I think the best way of testing it is to go into an area that is massively loud, like an airplane, and seeing the comparison. Because if I just sat in my room or doing some work, I wouldn't really be able to tell the difference. But you know, experiencing it that way made it very clear to me that these are very good noise canceling. And you're talking about the audio stage is interesting because I would not classify this as like an audiophile headphones or anything like that. But they're very, very good quality for the comfort factor and the wireless stuff because I wasn't expecting Bluetooth to be even remotely viable in these. And yet it does it pretty well. So I was quite surprised there. The new standards of Bluetooth and the bandwidth that they've been able to get out of it is so much better. If you've stayed away from Bluetooth in the past, I get it as a wannabe audiophile. I'm one of those wannabe audiophiles that really like audio. I like really good audio. I can hear the difference between different headphones, but I don't. I can't just run off a bunch of stats and things like that too. I just like good audio. And these have fantastic audio profile all the way around. And the Bluetooth, I think, is some of the best Bluetooth audio that you can get. If you compare it to a wired headset, of course, it's not going to be at that same level. But as far as Bluetooth goes, Sony nailed it for sure with this. And you get 30 hours of battery life on these, which is quite impressive. So they must be an over-the-ear headphone instead of an on-the-ear headphone if they're that comfortable for a long period of time. Yes, they are over-the-ear. And I kind of prefer those. On-the-ear is too. actually kind of annoying to me, but I like over-the-ear or the uh, earbud style. And I have a pair of earbuds that are good for the most part, but after a couple hours, they're problematic. So I think the, I haven't tried this, but I think the best option would be like kind of every few hours switch back and forth and then that'd be probably fine. And in terms of the amount of time the battery goes, I only got it down to like, I think 20% one time that I noticed over a couple of days. Now I'm, I'm not wearing them all nice. the time. So, uh, you know, I, I can't really say exactly how long they last, but it's lasted a very long time for my use case. And uh, also with the Bluetooth part, my desktop did not have a Bluetooth support. So I bought a dongle, a USB dongle that I could add to my desktop in order to use these headphones like I am right now for recording hardware addicts. And uh, I will have that linked in the show notes as well. 
and that's the the other one that's related. So without the Bluetooth, these headphones would be kind of limited to my phone. So that dongle is very important. And it was only like 15 bucks. So it's a pretty good solution for being able to do it. And it works great. The, one of the things that I love about these headphones is that most of the time when you get a Bluetooth device, they only support one device at a time. And this has a, fi a feature you can activate in the preferences to be having two devices at the same time. So I can have my phone and my desktop both working, and then I can just pause one, play on the other, and it just switched back and forth. Really nice. What I like about the adapter you chose specifically is in its description, it actually states that it supports Linux, which is you don't see that as often as you should with these different types of devices, but the Edimax does, so you can rest assured whether whatever operating system you're utilizing that will support that. We'll have the links in the show notes, yeah. and that's a great way to sh support the show because those are affiliate links. So if you like what you're hearing, check out those links and make those purchases there. Help support the show. Wendy, what have you been doing in the hardware world? I actually spent most of today building a robot. The 2022, 2023 first Lego League season has already kicked off. They dropped all of the fun stuff for what we're going to be doing this season on August second, I believe. And we had our first meeting as a team yesterday, where we played a little Donkey Kong with robots. A lot of fun. And so one of the issues that I've run into in some of the pre-built designs that they have for these robots is even though the sensors, these are the color sensors, are supposed to work at a fairly close distance to the hard surface, they don't accurately work on the mats we have. They're not totally shiny, but they're not totally matte either. They've got just enough glare to them that in that range where Lego says you can use the sensors, it'll read only white because those lights are so bright and it's just getting that light shined back into the sensor. And the other problem I've had with them is they seem to be way too top heavy. Like, we want to keep our robots kind of compact so that they fit within certain ranges, size ranges. We get bonus points for that. And it's easier to move around our game board. But when we tried to make changes to our robot last year, which was a design that the kids found on YouTube, really great channel where he is explaining different things about robots, doing different robots, builds a great educational resource it was way too tall, so when we moved the robot upwards in order to make those sensors work properly, then we were having balance issues. And I want the kids to be able to, instead of following somebody else's directions, to really try to come up with a robot design on their own. And because I have my own hardware, my own Spike Prime kit, I've spent today playing with a robot, taking things apart, and I don't know if you guys have played with Legos recently, but there's these little pegs that you can use to put things together, take them apart. And I have now removed them and taken them apart so many times today that my fingers are incredibly sore. But I have a robot design that I really like. And we have the game board from last year. So the kids and I are going to spend some time building attachments, playing with last year's game board in order to get ready for this year's robot season. What an amazing and awesome thing to do with the kids to go out there and build a robot like that. And yes, I'm very familiar with the soreness in your fingers from pulling Legos apart. I am the family's official <laughs> Lego uh, pull-aparter. <laughs> and yeah, it can get real annoying trying to jam your nail into there because they make a very tight connection, those Legos do. And uh, they do a good job with that because that's part of why you spend so much money on Legos is because of that right? precision they have with that connection. But when you're trying to take them apart, it's really annoying. But that's awesome. I can't wait. Hopefully, we can get some pictures maybe of the robot up on our forums for people to check out. Yeah, absolutely. I That'd took some awesome. quick ones with my phone. So when I was doing different iterations of the robot, because they've already made changes to the first design that I built, that I could have documentation of the changes that I made. So I can throw those up there and then we'll get some better pictures when I have a finalized robot and some of the attachments that'll go on it to achieve some goals with the robot. That sounds really cool. And also I'm very curious, how do you play 
Donkey Kong with robots. So it wasn't Donkey Kong in the traditional sense, but the board was set up kind of Donkey Kong style. And then you had different coins you had to go up and grab and obstacles you had to work around. And then there was a princess up at the top corner that you could save for some bonus points. So you have to write your programming in a way that it will collect the coins and bring them back to home without touching your robots. And they're all over the board and at different heights. That's pretty cool. I want to see a video of that too. I don't have a video of that, but since I know the lady that has all of that, I think it would be fun for our team to play that again. And I will get some video next time we play. It seems like laptops are constantly circling in and out of your house, and there is another one you are currently playing with. Is this one a positive, or are you already ready to sell it? Well, that circling of laptops coming in and out of my house was on a ridiculous cycle right before we went to scale. So I was in the process of moving, so I wanted to get rid of a lot of the laptops I had. I was on this mass selling because we were supposed to move really quick and then things got delayed. And I found myself without any laptop because I had sold all the laptops and I needed to get one quick for scale. So what I did is I ran to the local Best Buy and picked up about five different laptops. HP Omens, I picked up an Asus ROG Zephyrus. These are the latest models. A Dell XPS 15.6 along with a couple of others. And each time I got a laptop, the same problem occurred, which I hadn't run into in years. I'd bring it home, I would start it up, I would try to put Linux on it, and none of them would work. And they were major issues. The keyboard doesn't function, Wi-Fi doesn't work at all, the trackpads are completely broken. In some cases with these laptops, the trackpads were broken both in Windows and when I tried to utilize Linux in them. So there was just this massive problem going on with this latest hardware. Interestingly, in doing some research, I found that a lot of companies during this crisis that they had with the supply chain were ordering parts from different vendors. And these parts, of course, don't have the same support and they also don't have the same quality control that we are used to seeing and just these models of these laptops that I had one year ago all worked perfectly and had fantastic trackpads, keyboards. I had an HP Omen, in fact, that I had sold before I went through this. So it was quite a frustrating experience. So I went to Micro Center, which was my next step to see if I could find a good laptop. Lenovo's known to have a pretty good laptop, pretty good build quality. It already failed with the Dell XPS, which was usually one of my go-tos. It wasn't working in this case. So I picked up a Lenovo IdeaPad 5 Pro, which is a 16 inch laptop, has an AMD Ryzen 7 6800HS, 3.2 gigahertz, an NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3050 Max with four gigs of GDDR6. This is really awesome because I wanted to also be able to game for the game night that they had at the convention we went to. 16 gigabytes of RAM, 512 gigabyte hard drive, all the things, 2560 by 1600 IPS, LED backlit, 120 hertz display, all of these cool things coming in at just 4.29 pounds. This is a beautiful piece of kit, as Zeb would say, and has a really nice keyboard, really nice trackpad, Dolby surround speakers, just the whole gamut. And I bring it home and I boot into Linux and no keyboard at all. Keyboard doesn't work on that either. So I gave up and said, you know what? I'm just not going to have a laptop that I can bring with me uh, until all of these drivers make their way into the Linux kernel, unfortunately. Um, so currently it has Windows 11 Pro in it running a VM of Linux because that works fine within Windows 11 until I can get the drivers to turn this thing fully into. Because from a hardware standpoint, I absolutely love this machine. It is beautiful, really well done and designed. I love the camera arrangement that they have on it. Uh, the keyboard's fantastic. The trackpad, like I mentioned, lots of ports as well. And it comes in at a very lightweight, 4.29 pounds with all of that packed into it and is able to game pretty well too. So really nice laptop, just missing one thing, Linux support. That's a bummer. It's kind of crazy how many laptops you have been trying out to have that same kind of problem. And those 
some of them having even worse problems than the other ones. But the not having Linux support is definitely a, a thing that I am kind of worried about in terms of what is happening with these kinds of hardware, because that's really never been a problem. And there are some estimates about the new requirements for Windows 11 causing issues like that. And hopefully that will be addressed soon, if possible. Overall, this laptop sounds kind of awesome. It's a fantastic laptop. And I agree with you. It is worrisome. I mean, this was an issue I remember probably five years ago being in a Linux environment where you couldn't just go down to a store and re-image it with Linux. Maybe you'd have to do some minor tweaking but for the most part, you could get Linux to run pretty easily. And I also used Ventoy, which is a USB software allows you to put multiple distros on a disk. So this was whether I was using Ubuntu, Pop! OS, Arch, OpenSUSE, it didn't, Fedora, it didn't matter. None of them will work with this keyboard in the case with the Lenovo IdeaPad, or it was trackpads, or it was other things. And frankly, I didn't have time. I was down to a couple of days left to sit there and try to recompile kernels and other things. But I did go through forums and posts and try to find people who were experiencing these same issues. All of these laptops did share something in common. They are the very latest ones that had come out. And so I think that's going to take some time for all of this stuff to make its way into the kernel. But really, a huge shame on a lot of these manufacturers because Lenovo, for instance, and Dell... You can go buy versions of the laptops that come with Linux on them. So it's not like they don't understand or they don't want to support the ecosystem. They're just not doing anything with these particular models. And that's a shame because a lot of people look at them as companies you can go to and trust to get Linux support on. So I think some more work needs to be done with their supply chain. And I know a lot of them ran into supply chain issues and some people are speculating that's what's kind of caused this problem. So hopefully it goes away. But for right now, I'm holding on to this kit, hoping Linux gets support soon. As Linux users ourselves, that is definitely incredibly frustrating. I'm not in the market for a new laptop right now. But as you go to buy a new one, sell this one maybe, and try and upgrade again so you can have one that runs Linux, there's kind of that, is it going to work feeling now that is a little daunting at this point. You just want to be able to get the machine flash Linux on it and go to work, which you've been able to do. And now it's, do I have time to get a new laptop and actually have it be the working system I want to use? Yeah. And unfortunately, while all these manufacturers make a Linux version, you can't go to the store and grab one. You'd have to order it online. And so this is definitely a case where I want to see more Linux options in the stores so that people don't have to try to guess make their best guess on whether something's going to support Linux. With the Lenovo IdeaPad 5 Pro, I specifically looked it up while I was in the store and the ArchWiki had check marks by it showing everything was green. The thing is, I think the ArchWiki, because the naming sequence is so close with this model, there's another version of this one that apparently does work great, but not this particular version of the IdeaPad 5 Pro. So it's a situation, too, where there's just too much confusion. At this point, Linux is popular enough, big enough. You need to support it. You need to make sure your drivers are in there, at least for all of the basics and things. If you're not going to support you know, the latest sound, Dolby Atmos speakers and things, that's one thing. But this stuff was ridiculous. You know what's also ridiculous? Ridiculously good. That is our sponsor for this episode, DigitalOcean. This episode of Hardwareetics is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love, like the one-click marketplace where you can easily set up droplets with all sorts of different options. And you also can get support regardless of the size of your team. Whether you have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people, DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. And as a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. 
2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. Science fiction has spawned so many innovations of technology. I mean, that's why Michael and I, maybe Wendy too. I don't know if I've ever asked you, Wendy, do you like Star Trek? Are you a Star Trek fan? This is where I typically lose my geek card on the network talk. Not only am uh, I not a Star Trek fan, I'm not a Star Wars fan either. So That's so yeah. sad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> At least she didn't make the wrong choice of which one to pick. She That's true. No to both. So no it's, to you both. Know, you get a, <laughs> it's not it's not the worst possible answer to that. I feel icky now on the podcast that Wendy doesn't know, like right? Star it's Trek. Like, it's like how can she be a true geek without the love of Star Trek? Exactly. I can yeah, be yeah. a geek, I'm just not a Star Trek geek. There we go. I don't think those two things go together though. But yes, let's continue on. <laughs> Whether it was the iPad, cell phone, virtual and augmented reality glasses, all of these in one form or another have been dreamed up in movies and television, and now we see them in reality. So from the tricorder to the cell phone, what was it called in Star Trek where they had the augmented reality room? I can't think of its name. The holodeck? What was it called? Holodeck, that's it. They had the holodeck in Star Trek, and of course now we have... Something not quite holodecky, but not close, as right? cool. But you not, know, not quite close. as cool. Well, you got the virtual and augmented reality going in there. These these things that are dreamt up in science fiction tend to become in a version of it reality. And you'll often see in science fiction this idea of tiny robots or nanites that are so small they can travel through your bloodstream and fix your ailments. This nanotechnology could be used for things like killing cancer or attacking viruses, unclogging arteries, or otherwise make the problems that we look at as huge issues today a thing of the past. This is something that you've seen dreamt up in science fiction, but we're, again, not quite there at this point yet, but there's been some innovations here that I think you're going to find absolutely fascinating because robotics are already playing this major role in treating illness from microscopic surgeries. I remember when my dad had a heart attack and they were able to go up through an artery instead of having to split his chest completely open like they did back in the day. And they were able to put a stint in utilizing these robotics, which was just absolutely amazing. It was in and out surgery. It was no big deal. However, we're always dreaming bigger and well, I guess in this case, actually smaller to make these <laughs> things even do more, be able to do more, make them even less invasive than what you deal with going through an artery, for instance. So the idea is to move nanotechnologies or tiny, tiny robot armies from the movies to real life so that we can unleash an army of robots into our body. And these little mini terminators can then go to war with cancer or perhaps even go to war cleaning the plaque out of your arteries. You, it could be like when you take your car to an oil shop and they give it a tune-up. We could be doing that with potential tiny nanite robots going through our body, giving us a tune-up, cleaning up our arteries, fixing little problems in there. This sounds like an amazing future to me. Yeah, it sounds like a very, kind of like a superpower of being able to program these things to fix a specific issue that someone has and then letting them like unleash and fix it all. And then, you know, that where would they go afterwards? I don't know. But the idea of finding a cure by creating kind of like that, you know, the small tiny robot army you're talking about, that like all the different sci-fi stuff that talked about it. When I first heard of this concept, it sounded like it was just insane but now that we actually have like transistors that are so incredibly small and all this other stuff, it's I, it, in theory, it could be possible at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Transistors that we create today are smaller than a virus already. Like some of the things we're developing today are smaller than these things. And it's absolutely amazing. But one of the biggest problems with creating a robot army or even just a tiny robot to go through your bloodstream is... How do you power something that's that tiny, that small? One of the answers to this problem absolutely fascinated me because it's similar to the technology 
and something that we use every day. At least in my mind, that's kind of how I connected these two. It reminded me of the wireless charging base that you use for your cell phone. So we all remember the days, because we're all old enough here, even you, Wendy, where you had to plug in your phone every time to charge it. But now with these base stations, you just have to put your phone near or on that base station or on a mat and it automatically starts charging it, which was a huge innovation. I feel older now that you're talking about this because I still plug in my phone every night. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people still use it. I still plug in my phone too. And I'm not entirely sure where to take that comment as a compliment or not. I think that means that Ryan feels that I'm young. And so I'll just take that as a win. Win, win, awesome. I am very young. <laughs> I do like the fact that they can just charge those without having to plug it in. And the other advantage of charging these microbots that way is it's able to have them sealed tighter when they're in the body, all of the fluids, the different stuff going on, and you want to be able to sanitize these things before they're used again, making sure that they are fully secured on the outside, completely sealed is extremely important. And a charging bay just would be a bad place for a robot like this. I'm also curious if they couldn't use some sort of its travels through the body in order to help keep it charged like an alternator does for a car pickup automobile as it's traveling through the bloodstream, the heat to help keep it powered. I think all of those are ways that they were exploring and probably still exploring to figure out what is going to be the most efficient method. But one company decided why try to fit a battery or power source on the robot when you can power it wirelessly from the outside of the body. So similar to how you move a piece of metal on a table by placing a magnet under it, you know, like if you want to trick your kids and show that you're magical, you have a magnet underneath the table and then on top of the table, you actually have a piece of metal or something and you can move that piece of metal with the magnetic energy coming from the magnet to that piece of metal, and it looks like you're magical. Well, similar to that, with these robots that they created, they are powering the robots from the outside of the body by keeping the power source close enough as the robots travel through the body to do their work. So the robot's inside you, but the power source is something, say the doctor's holding in their hands on the outside of your skin as it travels, and that is wirelessly providing power to that robot and also directions to that robot as it moves through your body, which is a pretty cool way of utilizing wireless charging technology. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It kind of reminds me of the Star Trek stuff where they have the device that they just kind of hold next to you and then it starts fixing you as they run it up and down your arm or something if you have a broken arm. And it actually kind of sounds like that's what this, I mean, obviously a broken arm would not be able to be fixed by a nano, but I don't know, who knows at some point. Maybe they could, but yeah. Yeah, never know. Yeah, if you think about it, they never really explained in Star Trek that I can remember how that device is actually healing people. It's just got a light kind of emitting on the skin, and they're like, oh, your broken arm's fixed. But what if what that was doing was basically sending a robot army into your skin to go fix that bone, and then it just comes out? You know, that would be, and it's powering it as they're moving that device across. That would be much more realistic way of actually fixing those type of things and maybe it couldn't move the bone, but if you got the bone set, maybe the nanites could then go in there and start patching everything up. You never know, because that's the cool thing about this technology is that a research team recently developed something just like this, an actual swimming micro robot designed to navigate, small enough to navigate through your bloodstream. It uses a fully autonomous implantable system with locomotion and transmits power wirelessly to the tiny chip, and it can swim right through your blood. And of course, the problem that they ran into or that they thought they were gonna have is to find this right frequency as you've got all these guts and innards and everything else that was gonna interrupt the signal for this, but they stated, when we extended things to higher frequency using a simple model of tissue, we realized that the optimal frequency for wireless powering is actually around gigahertz or about 100 times higher than previously thought. So this first little robot is capable of swimming at 0.53 centimeters per second. It's two millimeter by two millimeter receiving antenna. It's fed by a two watt 1.86 gigahertz carrier signal that introduces 500 microwatts 
and there are 1 million microwatts in a watt, for reference, of power into the device. And the design also includes an RF front end, band gap reference, regulator, demodulator, digital control, and configurable high-end drivers for the device's dual propulsion system. And it also can use its little antenna like a propulsion system and troll it around if it needs to get some little extra oomph in there, which is just awesome for its swimming capability. So when you think about this, this sci-fi idea of having a little robot going through your bloodstream, attacking cancer cells, maybe going into your arteries and cleaning arteries, we're at the beginning stages of that already. Look at how much they packed on something small enough to travel through your bloodstream. I mean, it's it's amazing and, and definitely fascinating. I'm, I'm very curious about what comes from this in the future. But, you know, this is also kind of, it's very cool, and the amount of breakthroughs that the medical industry could have through this would be, you know, possibly, like, outstanding or amazing even. But at the same time, there's got to be, you know, some people out there that are cringing on this idea. A hundred percent, because despite this being a healing device, despite us thinking about it as a healing device, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to say... Well, you could also use something like this for a nefarious reason. What heals can destroy. And so if you were able to get command of a bunch of microscopic robots, and instead of maybe unclogging the arteries, you had them snip a couple, well, that would be pretty disastrous. And I have no doubt, based on humanity's history, that as this technology gets used for healing, somebody in the military is thinking about how they could utilize this as a tool to take out some dictator somewhere or something else. But I would imagine, again, with the technology the way it is today, the power source problems, the remote issues, maybe it wouldn't be something this small. We really wouldn't need something that small to turn it nefarious. This would, at least at this point, be more useful, I think, for healing. Yeah, I think that overall it sounds like a very positive option. And I do think that there are, you know, some things that to worry about, like once you have the nanobots in you and they do their thing, well, how do you get them out? Like do they you just the same way they got in your mouth or something. Yeah. Or, well, you know, number they, two, them out and just number, <laughs> n- number two, a couple four million dollar robots down the toilet. I don't think that that's really a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, because you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to put the, you wouldn't want to be the next patient after they clean them that goes back into your mouth. I'm, I'm glad no. I gave a rhetorical uh, scenario, and you were like, "Yeah, uh, we have a solution. <laughs> we have a solution. It's number two. Ryan's super classy solution. I think it saves a lot of time and money with that solution there, and you just have one of those yeah. uh, straining baskets in the bathroom, so you can." <laughs> Yeah, there you go. baskets are not going to be uh, pro- uh, more efficient considering how tiny these things are, I would assume. A cheesecloth, right? okay? A cheesecloth. Something real. So who wants the job of sifting through that? Nobody. I don't know, but they better pay well if that's the case. But They'd have to. I-, I think that the same way that they send signals for them when they initially get them into your body, probably through your mouth or even injecting them in that uh, they could probably get them out uh, in a very similar fashion and have them travel right back out because I would imagine it's extraordinarily expensive to create these little robots. And there's little video we'll have linked showing a demonstration of this little robot and how it would swim and how it goes around in the bloodstream. But I think for those of us, everybody at this point has been affected by cancer or had family members affected by cancer, know somebody who's been affected by cancer. And and so for me, when I look at things like this, I can't help but think of the potential that this would mean as new type of cure that's so much less invasive than something like radiation treatments. And it can carry payloads as well. So if you need, if you have certain drugs that are more effective, but those drugs going throughout your whole system in order to transmit are maybe do more damage than good, being able to take this little robot and have it drop a payload directly where you need it to 
um, to affect something that you're trying to fix mm -hmm. within a body, some ailment, is a really interesting use case that they demo inside the video as well. Yeah, that's very cool. I, I think that there's a lot of potential for this, and I hope this technology continues to improve and gets to the point where we can have these little robots uh, taking care of all the issues that we have. Of all the things that you have in like the medical industry of like innovations and stuff, there's a lot of great stuff, and I am every single time we cover it on the show, in terms of the technology involved, I'm more and more uh, amazed and fascinated by it. And this one, when you first started talking about it, I was like, "Well, this is this is gonna be weird, Ryan." And I can safely say that this does sound amazing. And I am absolutely, you, you were right. I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, as a hardware addict, I just can't help. Wendy, you were talking about creating robots as something you're doing with your kids and stuff. And there's so many use cases where robots can help in disaster areas and other things. Uh, it's an amazing thing to bring your kids into. And it's amazing to think where this technology is going. And it all started with something gigantic. It all started with these giant robots that could just barely move their arms or um, then it just started progressing from there, making things smaller and smaller and smaller to the point now where we can make something, a robot, small enough to go into the bloodstream. What that means for technology is just outstanding for cures and, and helping people with their ailments out there. So I just couldn't help but not bring this to hardware addicts because I think as a hardware addict, you have to be in love with this type of concept. Yeah, absolutely. Also, just a real quick correction. You said it started with this big effort, and I, I just wanted to correct you there. It started with Star Trek. Let's make That's that true. Clear. It started with Star Trek. <laughs> no, it Eventually, started with the first Wendy computers, which it. were huge. I doubt it. I don't think you can get me to enjoy Star Trek. My mom watched it <laughs> when I was a kid, so I've seen bits and pieces of it. I've seen bits and pieces of Star Wars, and I'm sorry, guys. They're just not for me. Well, we'll change That's your okay. mind eventually. It's okay. We're yeah, we're still gonna prove to you that you're wrong and you'll enjoy it. You know you who does love right Star now. Trek though? <laughs> and is awesome and everybody loves it. You're right. Bitwarden is awesome and a sponsor of Hardware Addicts. It's the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash talks to get started for free. Say you want that premium account that starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, plus Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage, and Generation with Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, you're going to want to show your appreciation for this awesome open source project and get the premium edition that starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. Okay, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us about anti-forgery signatures on cameras. I came across this really interesting article, and Sony is dropping a new camera that is related to this. Inside of this camera, when the picture gets taken, there is a key that is stored with it, an encryption key, and kind of seals in that this image is original. It was taken with this camera at this time. Now, I find this interesting in the fact for like news organizations, especially in the world where images are so easy to manipulate. We've got so much software out there that can manipulate these images, it can be really hard to tell what's true and what's not in them. We know the modeling community has been a big issue with that for years, and it doesn't even take a computer to manipulate images. The mentor that I've had for commercial photography talks about way they would dodge and burn and change things even using film. So this says, all right, this is an authentic image captured from this device and has this person's signature associated with it. Now, the downside of that, in order to use this protection from Sony, uh -huh, yeah, you need an additional license. 
And looking at the comments from some of the people on this article related to the encryption was Nikon released a camera with similar features quite a while ago, around 11 years ago, and it was targeted for police officers to show a chain of evidence. This picture is authentic. It was taken at this location at this time. What's inside of it is true. But it didn't take long for hackers to hack that, and then you once again couldn't trust those encryption keys. I wonder what you guys think of this. I love my camera. I use it all the time. Do I want to, A, pay for an additional license in order to use something like this? And yes, it could be beneficial for certain photographers in a professional standpoint where their clients are where their clients are paying a large amount of money for one specific image and showing that Mm. they did it. It's an authentic image and it can't be tampered with and somebody can't use it without being able to show, hey, they edited this because now the encryption key is broken. It doesn't match with the one that I have. I don't know. How do you feel about that change in hardware? An interesting concept, but it really kind of feels like this is an nft kind of grab for a camera somehow so i'm I'm not really sure how important it is but in terms of what you were talking about with the um the policing thing and going through court and having the proof being able to prove that it is a legitimate photo i think that's incredibly important in a lot of ways because you know evidence being tampered with is a problem that's happened forever so if this is a way to solve that to some degree, I think there's a lot of potential there. And I think so overall, this sounds like a good thing. It seems like it would be, but my fear with this type of technology is it becomes kind of the lie detector situation where it's not as trustworthy as you may want to believe, but it becomes a standard in which is utilized to establish trust in a courtroom. Oh, yeah. And things like this, while they sound really good, nothing is beyond being tampered with. And so Sony's technology, just like all this DRM technology, where you can go in and they say, oh, we're protecting our movie. We've got all this stuff. They're they're practically viruses that they install on your machine to make sure you're not duplicating it or sending it to someone else and all of this stuff. And it's all been broken. It's all been tampered and modified with and removed and it can be hacked. And because of that, if someone was to utilize this in court and say, well, I have this photo showing Ryan with the candlestick in the library was the murderer. And then they show something like this stamp that they created uh, that that's saying, and it's got to be true because it has this authenticity stamp on it that can be manipulated, changed, or hacked, for instance. Then I have to wonder, like, is there a graphical technology that they're using so advanced that it's beyond manipulation or modification, which I don't know if such a thing exists, and or is this going to be creating a situation in which for a while, I believe in the courtrooms, lie detectors were kind of trusted and utilized, but we eventually realized that it was an unreliable technology and had to remove it. But how many people got caught in a situation where their life was ruined because of a lie detector that really wasn't a, as foolproof as they made people believe. Yeah, that's a very interesting exactly. point. I mean, that makes me question but the thing I just said previously. So very interesting. And also the lie detector is a great example because it was proven that it's the one of the most re- unreliable things, period. So anytime it says like, yeah, I'll take a lie detector test, I'll prove that I'm not lying. It's like, yeah, you could, it's so easy to break those. Like there's even YouTube videos teaching you how to break them. Yeah. And one step further, where does that come in the storage of those keys once you've taken those images off of your camera? Do you have to have special software in order to do anything with them to, to convert them from raw? Do they have to be taken in a JPEG PNG only fashion Does that mean as this technology advances, especially if it catches on, now in order to take any pictures with my camera, I have to renew a specific license. I think that would be horrible to lock it into, I have this piece of hardware that's a camera 
And it now is another thing that requires a license in order to continuing year after year after year. I do see some of the positive sides of it, especially for things not as important as crime type stuff, but a quick validation of a news image and the like. But it is interesting to see this technology hitting cameras and what it could mean not only for the people who see the images, the people who buy the images, but for those taking them as well. Yeah, I think from that kind of use case, if you're dealing with a situation where you do photography, you're worried about people taking photos off your site, using them without your permission, you want to prove that they stole some of your images and used them without your permission. I could see that being a less volatile use case for this type of technology. But then again, I think this could very likely be used as something that's more of a subscription service that's going to be more of a money grab and then people's ability then to go hack and remove that stamp off of that image anyways is probably very high and proving all of that is going to be quite difficult and still require a court case, which requires money, which makes me go back to it's cool, but I'm not sure we really need it. I don't know. The best way you could sell this is to say, uh, Wendy, when you take photos, think about it, you could sell the photo and the NFT attached to the photo. Boom, double dip. There you go. Well, I guess that's one way to look at it. (laughs) I know it's an issue with photographers. They spend a lot of time going out there. They have very expensive equipment, taking pictures. They post them online. People steal those pictures. They use them all over the web without permission. It's a very frustrating thing for not only photographers, but artists as well. And there has to be some considerations into how people are utilizing this stuff without permission. I'm not sure if this is the answer, but there is a problem out there that needs to be solved. Let me put it that way. It's definitely a technology and a hardware turn of events that I will be keeping an eye on as it comes through. So the Sony's a7 IV hasn't actually launched yet. They've already said that you can use the camera without the license, but you can't have the anti-forgery signature unless you buy a license in order to use that. So it's definitely something, like I said, to keep an eye on to see how it's actually used. Does it get cracked almost instantly? And I'm sure there's people going to be trying. And when I get that update, I'll definitely bring it here to Hardware Addicts. There you go. And that's it. Our 66th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Order 66. Thanks for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. See, Wendy, that was a Star Wars reference, which you wouldn't get because you don't watch Star Wars. So lame. <laughs> if you're not yeah. all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on the Tux Digital Network. Head to TuxDigital.com to check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There is so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time for another transformative episode of Hardware Addicts where there's always more than meets the eye. So the only thing left to say is nanobots, roll out. (laughs) Hey, I got that reference. Good job, Wendy. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. (laughs) 